Hello, I'm Arnold Hamilton, editor of the Oklahoma Observer. And I'm Marianne Martin. And this is Observer Cast, your weekly deep dive into Oklahoma politics and policy. Presented by the Mary Lou Lemon Foundation. In December of 2023, so not too long ago, Governor Kevin Stitt signed an executive order calling for a review of all diversity, equity, and inclusion programs and services throughout the state. This was, of course, only targeting the public sector, but the groups and the organizations and the agencies that really became concerned about this executive order was higher education specifically. DEI programs have become a hallmark of higher ed, so colleges and universities, junior colleges, all sorts of everything past the 12th grade in public education. DEI initiatives have become a huge part of the higher education landscape, specifically to right the wrongs of inequities, of racial inequities of the past. Um, You have not gotten a fair shake getting into any sort of college or university over the past 300 years um, if you are not a white land-holding male. That's just the end of the story. Um, so in the, in our education system, as we've seen with Wrecking Ball Ryan Walters the past year, um, he has taken particular aim at so-called woke policies and woke indoctrination in our schools. So this executive order from the governor took aim at all public agencies. We don't know if it was just to kind of wrest some attention back towards him and away from Walters or if it was really um, an honest effort to account for these programs. Um, They weren't an honest effort just to, you know, cut to the chase. But the fact is, is that higher education feels particularly under the microscope because right now, Walters cannot touch higher education. He can't pass rules, pass policies. He doesn't have a board that he can control and that the governor controls to pass policies that punish schools for these DEI programs and services. The regents still control higher ed. Um, The executive order, in all honesty, it targets all public sector, any state agency, so not just higher ed, but because DEI has been such a big push specifically in higher ed, Our universities really took this to heart and really um, took notice when this EEO came down last month. So we wanted to really kind of dive into what that means and what that looks like in Oklahoma. Um, If it's really just a natural, you know, the next step in the progression in our state to turn into some quasi-totalitarian white Christo-fascist state, (laughs) uh, I think it actually is, quite honestly. Um, So anyway, so that's what we're focusing on in this episode of Observer Cast. All right, so tonight we're lucky to have not one, not two, not three, but four of our local, not well, three of them are local, state representatives um, for the Oklahoma House of Representatives. I'm glad I could catch them all tonight. Um, so uh, if you could all tell us who you are, what you do, a little bit about your district, and as we discussed, we'll go in district number order. <laughs> so <laughs> the easiest, most you know, non like partisan way. <laughs> so uh, Representative Ranson, tell us who you are and what you do. Absolutely. I am Representative Trish Ranson. I represent House District 34, which is the uh, heart of Stillwater. 
So um, OSU is part of my district um, and I am chair of the Minority Caucus. Great. Yep. Next. My name is Representative Jared Deck. I represent House District 44, which is core Norman, includes the main campus of the University of Oklahoma, Campus Corner, downtown, and both high schools. I am Representative Annie Menz. I represent House District 45, that is East Norman. Um, I have a large rural area, but I also have some urban area, and it includes a lot of uh, students. Um, from OU and and staff. So um, I am a freshman lawmaker. I just got elected in November. Um, so yeah, excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. All right. And last but not least, everybody. Oh, my, yeah, my state week. rep, my state rep, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, my state representative, Jacob Rosecrantz, uh, definitely Marianne's uh, state rep. That's going to be, um, I've been the representative out here since 2017, um, feels like 1917, uh, but uh, it, it encompasses mostly the west side of Norman, uh, Norman south of Highway 9 to kind of, it, it basically cuts out the entire university, but I have um, a lot of folks who obviously work and uh, especially professors who work at uh, OU in my district and I'm, uh, I hear a lot about what's going on and happy to have this conversation. Great. So, um you were honestly the first four I thought of. Of course, I am an I I work at the university as well. Um, you know, and my immediate concern was the impact on the university. Um, so far, higher ed has kind of been a little bit um, protected from this very anti DEI, anti CRT, HB seventeen seventy five discourse. Um, that we've had at the state level. So just to kind of quickly recap for everybody, HB 1775 limits what can be taught um, in history courses um, and the types of courses. So that's kind of our anti-critical race theory response here at, in Oklahoma. Um, and we we have seen the impact of that, you know, for our teachers um, in the K-12 system. Um, there were certainly reverberations in higher education. That was, you know, where I work on campus specifically, there were some deep, deep concerns um, about basically the freedom of information and exchanges of information. Um, and so there's just been this kind of reoccurrent legislation, reoccurrent discussion. And then, of course, we have Wrecking Ball Ryan Walters, where this is his one kind of seems to be like the only thing he can do is complain about um diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, you know, woke indoctrination and whatnot. So we see it, we saw it kind of take form um, last week. And so my first instinct was, what is the, what is the impact on higher education? Because higher education is where we do actively directly discuss these issues, you know, about, and, and we really dive deep into what race, gender, sexuality, uh, nationality, ethnicity. We, we These are things that we talk about regularly on a, in a university campus. And so the four of you all have our two main universities, um, you know, state universities. So if someone, one of you could give me a sense of, um, you know, did you know this was coming? And then what were kind of the discussions that you were a part of um, ahead of this executive order last week? Anyone? Yeah. Well, we had, um, I'll go ahead and start. Yeah. I mean, uh -huh. hey, um, so 
from what I understand, you know, we had started looking at um, DEI, and when I say we, I mean the 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 campus and the administration of Oklahoma State University um, had been looking at that um, back at the beginning of the semester when start of talk of this topic was brought up and um you know we're already in the process of looking at it like okay what how does it serve the needs of our students um pros and cons all of those types of things and you know the uh dr strum came out with her statement of you know we're already in the process and right now you know things look like they're right on track so we're not going to be making any changes um going forward so that's kind of where we are there um, but, you know, the whole idea of DEI coming up, and I think, you know, my colleagues tell me if you agree with this or not, I think there's a really big misconception of what DEI actually is. And I think it's it's this idea that, you know, um, that it, it deters from other students or that it's special treatment or that mm-hmm. it, it, that kind of thing, which it's not, it's, it's just policies that put into place to make sure that we have a diverse college campus that we have uh, that we're looking at how do we live in a diverse society and going forward and that sets them up for the workforce and I think that's a good thing Uh, but the to hear it another way it's like oh my goodness um, how do you fight against misinformation Uh, because it seems like it just keeps getting the more it gets repeated the more it's believable and it's not Norman folks kind of, you know. Yeah, um, I I can agree with that. Um, we saw our uh, president, OU President uh, Harris's um, statement as well, similar to, to OSU's presidents as well. Kind of like, hey, listen, um, we'll do what you're saying to do. But uh, hey, listen, this is a diverse world we all live in and we have a diverse student body. I mean, could have been stronger worded, sure. But I'm saying that's it was at least him recognizing, you know, hey, our university's diverse. That's just let's get that right out there first. OK, and we're proud of that fact. And we all should be. Um, but uh, yeah, what, what Representative Ranson was talking about, um, I had heard some of this kind of coming down, you know, because after House Bill 1775, it's never just one bad bill. It's always trailer bills after that, <laughs> you know, targeting some other thing or some other aspect of of whatever it is they want to target. And uh, that's so I kind of knew something was like going to happen. Jared or, or, or Representative Menz or Representative Deck, have you heard anything else like that? Well, this representative deck, I will add, you know, to me, this this is a you know, a move that just shows another hypocritical stance of of someone who says one of a politician who says one thing and does another, calls himself a pro-business governor, yet uh, is very anti the global marketplace and mm. you know, really refuses to acknowledge the reality that we live in a global market and we have to prepare our students for that global marketplace. That global marketplace doesn't just mean transactions with businesses overseas from other cultures. It means interacting uh, in, you know, in an intra office level. Right? <laughs> Appropriately. With... Appropriately. Mm-hmm. With people who come from a different background, a different culture, a different religion, a, a different uh, different ideas, uh, or let alone a different language. And so this idea that we are going to, again, as a state, we are saying one thing 
and our governor is doing another. And, you know, for me personally, I, you know, I see, I see this as sending a message of weakness to the world that Oklahoma is too weak to handle people, to understand uh, people who are different than us, that we are too ignorant to learn from cultures that may, may be different or from people that we don't quite understand. Um, and so for me, I, again, this is just, it's another sign of weakness that our state is sending across the bow, uh, telling the world that we are not, not only are we not prepared today to exist within a global marketplace, but we are not even going to prepare for it in the future. I have some follow-ups, but Representative Mintz, do you have any thoughts about this? Oh, um, yes. Well, just um, another in a long line of attacks on public school kids and educators. Mm -hmm. um, just the ability for us to to trust our educators. We have some of the finest educators teaching at our universities here um, in Oklahoma, some of the finest in the world. And um the the amount of time and effort that we've put into um, building these systems and these programs for the betterment of the kids that are using them. I mean, I I'm I appreciate the cultural aspect of this, but I'm trying to remember the last time I had to use DEI services when I was a college student, and it was because I was poor. It was uh -huh. because I couldn't afford to pay for therapy and I didn't uh -huh. have private insurance and I needed, I had a mental health crisis and I needed to talk to somebody. And uh -huh. thankfully there were, there was somebody at student services and I was guided there from my trio office. And that oh. was, that was a program <laughs> that I was a part of because I was a poor student and because I was a first generation student. I didn't have parents to help me navigate how to even apply for college or how to even dream about going to college in the first place. So to start off at a, from a disadvantaged point, um, everything I just described doesn't have anything to do with my gender or my race or, or my sexual identity. That was just an economic issue and something that I think a lot of people, I know for a fact, a lot of people in my district at least can understand. So I, I, it, it's interesting to me thinking about how this one executive order, um, and we'll talk about the ACLU's reading of it because it matches my reading of it. Not that I'm smarter than the ACLU, right? Those attorneys, like they earn their money. But I mean, this was, I wrote about this last week for the Observer, but it absolutely connects with this larger discourse that the governor and Ryan Walters are propagating. And then you also see um, like Shane Jett, you know, Senator Shane Jett. I mean, it's an active discourse between members of our, you know, between elected officials in the state of Oklahoma. Um, that's not just um, confined to this one executive order, because if if we all recall, uh, Stitt has been on, you know, national news talking about border issues when we're literally 12 hours from the nearest international border, right? And I mean, how some that impacts us and what that really says is that those people impact us when they come here. Um, you know, so there's that constant, those people, um, you know, in the discourse. Uh, and yet, to your point, <laughs> Representative Deck, it's like, how more can we signal that we are just not ready to be on the global stage? 
right? Because it absolutely requires us to be prepared to interact with people who are not like us. And if we think that there aren't businesses and companies looking to move here that don't take that exact thing into consideration, well, they absolutely do. Yeah. yeah, they absolutely do. I mean, their their recon teams, you know, they are absolutely sizing us up on those terms. I mean, so I don't think, sorry, I'm going off here, but like, um, you know, I I didn't quite realize, um, I, I, the, a PR firm that I used to work at, we had a client um, out in Woodward and it was a uh, um, fertilizer company. And um, we, we had to do media training for the folks out there. And it, and I was like, and, and this was kind of in the middle too, of when there was the, the drilling boom, you know, in Western Oklahoma for a little while, you know, anyways, so I was just like, when, went out there with my, my boss and I was, I was like, this is, these engineers are from all over the place. I was like, why would they come here? <laughs> you know? And, and they're like, no, engineers will go where the jobs are, you know, like, it, and it was because, I mean, that's what engineers do is like, you go, you know, you drill out in Western Oklahoma, the fertilizer plants are in this, this particular place, they go there. And so you have this. I mean, engineers educated all over the world, you know, professional workforce educated all over the world, educated all over the country, and they relocate where those companies are. Um, even you go to down, you go to any of the oil and gas companies in downtown Oklahoma City, up in Tulsa as well. Their engineers and their their employees are not just these white Oklahomans. You know, they're it's really, really diverse in those offices. And so um I really don't think people understand that because I certainly didn't until I went to Woodward and here's this, you know, this guy, uh, his home country was in Africa. He was trained, you know, he's, he's, he's an engineer and he's living out in Woodward, Oklahoma on a fertilizer plant. Um, and it's like, this is like the reality of what it means to have diverse, a diverse workforce. It's not just, you know, a bunch of white people. And I, I really feel like that's lost. Um, but, but I'm sorry, but, Representatives, I want to talk about what you're saying too, because that's really the core. What you talked about your experience in in college, that's really the core of what would be impacted by you know any statutory. Um, if if this is solidified in sta in statute, um, these are the programs that are specifically jeopardized um, by bans or eliminating diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Um, can you talk a little bit more about you know trio programs? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think like the McNair Scholars programs like that. There's lots of yeah. So we, ha I mean, our students um, with disabilities or um, you know folks who are maybe neurodivergent who are processing through um, their their learning career. Um, veterans, there are lots of programs yep. for veteran college students, um, but that's also part of DEI and you know, although, I mean, I'm one of them that, you know, and so it's just, there are lots of, um, I think demographics and groups that weren't immediately considered, um, uh, when, when we have these, you know, conversations, these attacks on DEI, it's like, yes, it's been misrepresented to the people, like you said, um, and, and we know why, um, yeah, but, but there, there, yeah, the, yeah, and I mean, there, there have been these programs, not just um, college to college, but like you, like you said, trio, like I mentioned earlier, the trio program, 
um, is federal and it's to help students who live below the poverty level and or are first generation um, college students. Um, and a lot of the time it's both. And that's just, I mean, they're, they're, that doesn't have anything to do with political parties or, uh -uh. you know, race or gender or any of it. I mean, it's just the it's reality a, that a lot of our economic students, fact, like it's an economic fact, right? Like it is. And there are lots of students who are living through that right now, right now, and just not really understanding what it is that they did wrong to have it even questioned. You know, they, they're not asking for us to hand them their degrees with nothing in return. Like they're not asking for extra money or they're not asking for special treatment or to be paraded around or anything like that. All they're asking for is a fair shake, which is uh -huh. something that a lot of them haven't had before. Um, and so I just, we can, we can come at it from a place of being offended, like framing it like DEI programs are there to be discriminatory, but they're not, they're there to do the opposite, to make sure that these kids have a fair shake. And, you know, I call them kids, but I say that I, I do too. I, yes. I but I, there are yeah. quite a few non-traditional students and I'm talking yes. about folks my age, I'm 36 and older and, you know, people who have been in the workforce, had families, decided I want to go back and get a degree because it's never too late. <clears throat> you know, that's also, they also are DEI, you know, rolled in. Yeah. And so I just don't, I don't see in my, I know I've had these conversations out on the doors recently um, in my district. People don't understand what's so bad about having a program in place at a university that okay. gives students who need a little extra support, yep. the support that they need. Imagine growing up, you know, coming over to this country, not knowing the language, you're here, you're two years old, you get in, I mean, you're dumpster diving for food at the age of four, like your parents are each working three jobs, neither of them ever went to college. Somehow you grow up and you get into college. Who do you have to help? Or you even that? know that college is an option. Yeah. Uh, like, like, you know, knowing you, you, that you, you can miraculously even apply to college. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, you, you work really hard all through school, you get into college and then now it's just like, okay, well, <laughs> all of the, there's, there's programs out there, but it's just, how do you, how do you make it, make it comfortable? How do you? Well, and also you? representative men's, like you said, I mean, there's so many barriers that students come across just to even get to college. And it's not like, okay, now you got a golden ticket. Here you go. Here's your degree. That's, that's at least four years or more of, of studies and supports that are necessary because I mean, the, the outcome is student retention and graduation rate and job placement. I mean, all of those things are, are the goal for higher ed. So then, then that actually makes, citizens of our community it enriches right. our 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 circles our our towns our state all of that and i think that's what's 
you know, really important. Um, everyone has challenges that they need to overcome and the DEI programs and the, the policies help help folks no matter where they come from to help get them through to graduation. Right. If somebody just, needs a little extra time for a test, if somebody needs yes. a little, a little yes. quiet place because noises irk them and they can't study, if they need a quiet place to, to be tutored and to study, you know, like these are just considerations. I think it's just part well, of being a person. I don't know. It, I mean, I think this group will get it, but I mean, how many students, be it traditional or non-traditional, have someone that they're caring for at home, either a younger sibling or a child, uh, an older an older parent, and they're having to navigate the schedule and all hell breaks loose. Someone gets terrible. I, I have this happen every semester where I have a student who has a younger sibling that they have to care for um, and they have to navigate the expectations of higher ed and the deadlines and the due dates and the finals weeks and all that sort of stuff with this extra consideration at home. Um, and these are the programs that support these students and help them graduate, right? Um, I, I just, I, I feel like my first gen story is uh, being in my master's program and uh, my, my, advisor was like, why didn't you get internships in your bachelor's program? I was like, why would I do that? Like, I knew nothing about that. So just like the long list of assumptions that some kids come to college and they know all about them. They have parents at home who are just like feeding them the script. Right. I mean, that's really what it is. Well, hey, you know, like you needed, I mean, cause I'm doing it with my daughter right now, who's a senior next year. So I'm sorry, representatives. I just not to interrupt. I just, I, I just have to point out at least once during this podcast that the people who keep quest questioning DEI programs, the people who keep framing it as discrimination, the people who want to get rid mm -hmm. of it, um, they don't think the people who qualify to be part of the DEI programs belong in college. Absolutely. College is for the rich kids. College is I'm for glad the kids. you said that. College is for the kids who whose parents went there. There, it's for the legacies. It's for the ones who, you mm -hmm. know, we we would we would think, you know, belong there. And that's just we all know that's a crock. Um, that's not how the world works, and that's and, not how it's ever going to work. And but I mean, it's and, and also, it's not for the kids who have to pay their own way, who, you know, as. <laughs> who don't have to worry about textbook costs, how they're going to pay that bursar bill, um, you know, because someone is bankrolling them. And and, it, and it's not to, I'm sorry, shit on generational like knowledge, right? Like I, right now, I just happen to have a high school junior and it is important to me that she knows what it's possible for her. I mean, it's like this supercharged feeling for me to like make sure she is armed with everything that is possible for her so she can take she can take what do what she wants and does it when she graduates, right? And I'm just thinking, my parents were like, "Oh, you're a poly, you're, you know, you're applying, you're applying to college." And I knew about college because I had teachers in the Middell school system who like taught us in eighth grade. You need to know how to do a a, a research paper. You know, I mean, it's just like this. This was not natural knowledge in my family. My parents didn't be like, "Oh, get those college apps in," you know. So it's just like it's not this innate knowledge when you don't have it. And so to your point, um, Annie, it's like, 
you, I feel like their privilege reveals themselves when they say it's discrimination to give people a hand up. Yeah. That you're taking from someone else by helping someone else get up that ladder. You know, um, it's so evident to me in that executive order that he feels like this is a pie. Right. I don't get it. I don't get that slice of pie. That's, that's how they think it's very, there's mm -hmm. this dichotomy always. But, uh, but then also, you know, so the, the governor this year and the state of the state made calls for, what did he say? Um, he wanted more career counselors than DEI officers. Um, so what you were saying, Representative Branson, about, you know, it's about graduation. It's about job placement after graduation. I mean, that that's the stuff for higher ed. You know, how do we square that with limiting our student pool by removing these DEI measures that make it more accessible for more students. Well, just, you say you limiting. Uh, uh, okay. Like I see what you're saying. Um, but you know, here's the thing. Our population on our campuses should mirror our population within the yep. state of Oklahoma. And so we need to make sure that we have access for everyone, however they identify, to be able to go to that next level if they should so choose. But you're right. I mean, I've, I heard some, some students here at OSU uh, very concerned about the executive order mm -hmm. and thinking that maybe they would have to leave. Or, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those fear tactics where it just gets everybody all riled up and like, oh, well, maybe I need to leave this state uh, to get a good education. Um, you know, like maybe I need to leave this state so I can get good health care, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, it's frustrating because um, we should not be limiting the, if, if you're able to go and you have the, the wherewithal, you are ready. Um, great then that should be your path. That's your cho choice. Um, but this whole idea of like only a few should be able to go to, to college. I mean, you know, we only, if, if it's a race issue, we're only about 60% white in our state. So then, yeah, our, <laughs> yeah right. you know, what's going to do, what's going to happen with the financial viability of our universities. They don't have mm -hmm. as many students. I mean, and you know, that's a major employer in my district. Um, yeah, so yeah. it's, it's like, you know, it, it doesn't really come, it does, it doesn't, it's not really well thought out and you're right. It does show privilege. Mm -hmm. It shows folks, you know, who are against this, they just don't understand it. And they have a feeling that only certain people should be able to be educated and others not. Um, well then, you know, then you're going to have a two class system. Is mm -hmm. that what we want? I mean, that's not going to be the betterment for Oklahoma. We should all be able to hit the ground running wherever we are and work together. Well, and to that point too, Trish, um, it's interesting that whenever he was uh, in the executive order, oh gosh, darn it. I, I lost my train of thought. I didn't mean to, what you were saying was so good. And I was like agreeing. And then um, oh, <laughs> it was a great thought. And I apologize people listening. Wow. <laughs> Um, happens to the me. best of us, brother. That's yeah. That's for darn sure. But yeah, no the executive <laughs> order. Saying is executive order. <laughs> trying to prompt you to remember because I do this all the time. So, um, 
you know, I, oh, well, I, you did mention it was going to have a chilling effect on on uh, um, the student body itself. That's true. Think about if you're even in a different country now and you're thinking of going to university and you're like, oh, I heard about Oklahoma and I heard that they they banned things like diversity because let's be honest. Your normal Joe's really not going to know what DEI is. That's why it's been used uh, again, is is what Trish, I'm sorry, Representative Ranson mentioned as a fear tactic, and and that's exactly what it is. That's exactly it's three more letters. Remember what all this kind of stemmed from CRT, and mm -hmm. people are just. I mean, when I'm going and knocking on doors, they don't Mary, know what it is, but they know they don't, don't like know what it. it is. Boy, are they scared of it? And that's where that's what it is. It's fear. It's fear of a thing. It's fear of diversity um, and the world is getting more and more and more diverse as we speak. So now people who are not used to that are freaking out and they're using elected folks are using tactics to get them in this kind of riled up way. And by doing things like banning or I guess not he didn't ban it but you know looking at reviewing DEI programs reviewing that, setting the stage for legislation I mean it's it, gonna exactly happen. well no happened. and Senator Standridge already has the, yeah. the bills coming out I mean we all saw that so yeah Representative um, Deck did you have something to say yeah yeah you know Representative Rosecrans um represent or mentioned um international students you know I want I I was on campus corner um back in last spring when the university of oklahoma had that swatting incident the mm -hmm. swatting incident was a a false alarm but it was it was a an organized uh, call of a threat of violence upon the campus there was a it, there were calls made into ou's emergency systems um claiming that gunshots had been fired on campus and that there was an active shooter and I want I want folks to imagine your child or your grandchild or uh, a loved one being on campus when such an event is happening, right? How scary of a thought that may be for a parent. Now I want you to imagine that your child is halfway around the world when that's going on. Oh. You are nowhere close, nowhere close to make sure your child, your loved one is safe. Who is that person's um, navig? Where is that person that that student's navigation system? Where is their home base? A lot of the time, it's their DEI office. It is someone. It's a counselor who has been assigned to them, that works with them either day to day, week to week, maybe it's just month to month, to make sure that they can navigate being in a new place. And <clears throat> taking away these resources is a direct attack upon the students. I don't I think we need to stop acting like it's just an attack upon, you know, an academic institution or academia at large. Um, th this is re truly an attack upon the students. You know, the governor in the state of the state this past year, uh, you know, challenged our two flagship universities to raise their enrollment by, you know, up to 25 well, percent. It's a massive increase. Yeah. Where does he think these students are going to come from? Right. They are not going to come from upper middle class white families. We just don't have we don't have them in Oklahoma. Well, and, and there's a brain bleed too, guys, because you know as well as I know, if you go talk to your graduates, are they sticking around the state? No. 
our teachers sticking around the state, you know, that, that thing up at UCO, they always have with the honorable noble profession. When you go talk to those teachers around those, uh, that, those tables, they're like, uh, Texas here, Arkansas, Kansas. And I'm like, do you live in, in, in Oklahoma? Yeah. Yeah. We're just moving out though. We, we want better opportunities. So uh, that's not what you want to hear. No. I mean, and the thing is, is like, um, the kids get it. Like, uh, oh yeah, they do. They this, get is, it. this is like this is why I'm like these days I, I I could be totally wrong um you know the 18 to 24 year old crowd may take a hard right turn at some point it's possible um but shit I think the kids are all right and I have said this multiple times in the past week I mean I'm looking at the OU Daily Story um you know it's our student campus newspaper um and so the Black Emergency Response Team, it's going back to OU's need for a DEI office at all, goes back to the SAE episode a number of years ago with just outrageously racist crap on a, on a fraternity bus, right? And um, the Black Emergency Response Team was formed by students um, to uh, respond to and mobilize in response to the university's inaction and failure to address systems, you know, issues of inequity and racism on campus. So anyways, the uh, Black Emergency Response Team issued a statement, um, did not parse words, um, and, you know, saying DEI programs and departments offer safe spaces for historically marginalized communities on campus. And I, I first, I want to say, I think people like Stitt and Ryan Walters don't understand what it means to have a safe space, because if you're a person of color and you're in a majority white space, that's not necessarily safe for you. Um, but, you know, what Bert said was um, Oklahoma political officials led by Stitt failed to understand the need to fund higher education DEI programs. Stitt is aggressively targeting students from all marginalized communities with blatant discrimination, hiding behind the deceptive narrative that merit-based success and hard work are all that's needed for advancement. Together, let us stand against the detriment of our student body and work towards a future where our university thrives as a model of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, the kids get it. I mean, the, TikTok is their great, you, know, you say what you will, but I mean, they get it. This is not how they think. No, it's not. And, you know, this generation is the most diverse generation we've had so far. Um, I used to be an elementary music teacher. So, I mean, <laughs> I, we talked about making friends and including everybody and what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes and making sure that we have understanding um, that, you know, if someone's not playing um, and, and doesn't feel like they're included, they go sit on the bench. And if they're sitting on the bench, you go ask them to play with you. I mean, all of these things, they have been taught. And so then all of a sudden they're at the, the college level and they're being told that it's bad, that um, they don't know. I, I just, it just boggles my mind because, you know, these are not minor children. They, right. are they are adults. voting age adults yeah. and you are basically telling them that they don't matter. I think that is a really bad move dicey. on the governor's part. Pretty dicey. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. There isn't an, an executive order or a piece of legislation or a little soundbite that's going to stop diversity. Nope. There's oh, nothing thanks. that is going to stop actual diversity. It's growing. It's getting, you know, people are operating out of fear. They may choose to not come here. Right. <laughs> they, I mean, we may, we, I mean, students may choose to fail 
to enroll at our universities and we deserve what we get if and when that happens. Yeah, but like actual diversity in the world. Sure. Oh yeah. Not slowing down. And like, I just, this this idea that we're going to do a little executive order to to placate whoever is afraid of that actually happening. Like you just, deep down, you need to have like, an honest conversation with yourself and do, do whatever you need to do to like come to terms with the fact that, you know, the, the diversity is growing and, and that's all there is to it. And if you will continue to do these things, people are going to see that all you're doing is playing politics with their education and with their money. But can we also talk about- you're talking, you're talking common sense. And that's the reason why I think sometimes our message doesn't get translated the right way you're talking common sense we are talking common sense here the world is getting more diverse yes you can tell that it is and it's great thing i think diversity most people can tell that but not not everyone apparently no not everyone apparently i just kind of wonder if we leaders who know that and they have we uh, overestimate yeah i i I really I, i feel like um it's possible that we overestimate that the people that that 24% that does tend to vote in the state of Oklahoma, how much they get out of their, 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 their neighborhoods. Right. Um, And because I mean, the reality is, and, and, and thinking about the impact if, and when this becomes statute, you know, so when it actually has teeth, if Standridge manages to get his bills across the, you know, the finish line next year, which is a big if, um, but not impossible. I, I'd give it a 50, 50 chance at this point. Um, but you know, it's not just the students that are going to leave. It's going to be the workforce in higher ed because faculty can just go and they will, and they have been the, the number of years, um, you know, it, OU, OSU may just be kind of like stopping you know like a rest stop on people's careers but they can choose to leave and they will yes representative deck no you're precisely correct and but this is the issue that is the goal Mm -hmm. the goal of this executive order which shows that the governor has completely submitted submitted himself to ryan walter's plan of destroying Mm -hmm. public education Mm -hmm. remember the governor campaigned on making everything top 10 in the country. Well, Mm -hmm. he has decided that that is not an attainable goal now. And so he has submitted to Superintendent Walter's plan, which is just simply to get rid of it and to chase us out of this state. That is the goal. And so that's why it's important, uh, you know, for us and honestly, also for our university administrations Mm -hmm. to stand up and say, look, we get what you're trying, we get what you're getting at. But we, you have to let us do your, you have to let us do our jobs. Um, do, you, do you guys think that they have, because I, I, I completely acknowledge the tenuous position, right, that these, that our, our university presidents are in, in terms of their purse strings are controlled by you guys, right? Um. And I and I have a healthy respect for that. And you know what I mean by you guys—the pervert, the the big you guys, <laughs> the hundred and fifty of you, <laughs> right? No, just the five of us. Um, but I mean, do 
I, 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 I really am concerned about the, the, the courage to beat the pavement this session um, it, with the, the leaders, the administration at OSU and OU and to set people straight and to roadblock this at the legislative level. Do you think that's a possibility? Do you see it happening? We've got enough alums in the legislature between OU and OSU as well. Um, and both of our universities are global reach universities. Yeah. So um, it's it's bad business for the universities, um, for, I mean, for donors, for students, for all kinds of, of levels. Um, and I think there will be some negotiations coming up and that sort of thing. Um, but you're right. It's, it's bad for business. Cause I, I just, um, I'll just, I'll just be, I'll be completely on the record about this. I feel like, uh, president Harris's letter was a misstep. Um, it overstated what was in the EO. It stoked fear. And I can't decide if it was to force the governor's hand or if it just was kind of put out without reading, you know, you know, I, I don't know what happened there because um, it mischaracterizes the EO um, without kind of capturing the importance of maintaining our DEI programs. Um, and um, unfortunately, I haven't read um, any of President, you know, President uh, Shrum's responses. I know she put one out, uh, but I'm just very concerned um, that. I mean, the work is left to do on this issue for higher ed, right? Yeah, Representative Deck. Yeah, I would add that, you know, we saw this, uh, you know, particularly with the university in my district and the response to the ARPA funding for mm -hmm. the, uh, the health center mm -hmm. in Oklahoma City oh, yeah. and yes. how that was affected by, uh, by politics uh, regarding uh, uh, gender-affirming care. Yeah, and so... It, to, and, just to catch everyone up, like they they removed their gender affirming care clinic from um, OU Children's because it was it, it the state like put um, strings on strings attached to receiving ARPA funds for a much needed improvement to, you know, the OU health system. Um, and, and I mean, because we know those we we I, I, I don't want I don't want to put any of you all on the record saying this, but we know the governor is not above these tactics um, and putting some really pernicious, nasty strings on funding and legislation um, that is deeply, deeply harmful um, to our higher education systems. Um, but I, but do, I, would, I do want to add, uh, Marianne, it's the state part of the overall budget for the university isn't that isn't that much now is it a is it enough to to break us yes but when we're talking about <laughs> 13 i mean 13 to 18 percent of the entire budget for the university comes from the state government the rest okay. of it is on the backs of working families uh -huh. and kids i mean every one of us you know, and I'm and I, I always include myself whenever I say things like this. Elected officials on the state level, we are all complicit in producing the most indebted generation of 22 year olds in the history of the planet. 
we have we have done this. So this is a this has been a choice that our state government has made over the past 30 years. It was a reaction to House Bill 1017 back in mm-hmm. the early 90s. And and you know, and a in a way to um sort of uh get back at the left for wanting to fund uh you know uh, educate you know, public educational institutions. And uh, but really what we're what we're dealing with here is, you know, we've we've got to have a backbone. And, and you know, yes, you know, the ACLU put out a statement saying it doesn't exactly ban DEI offices, but our universities are absolutely in a, between a rock and a hard place between what do we do? What do we say? Um, you know, I know that, the, you know, the University of Oklahoma is coming up working with their VP of DEI. Uh, currently to uh, still be able to offer services to students without having that particularly named department. And, but it, it, it does, it, it makes, it makes uh, our institutions jump through hoops that are completely unnecessary, but I'll go back to my prior point. The point is to make these institutions jump through hoops in order to hurt them long term. Uh And, this and the, this governor and the state superintendent, what they are telling us with their actions is that they do not want the University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State University to exist. That is what their actions tell or them. or not exist as a public institution. Yes, that's correct. And I mean, and that's like that. I mean, that doesn't mean like you know selling off the parts, but it does. It's like you know, um, and. I'm just going to point out that this has been a move that this governor has done his entire, you know, his regime has done this. Okay, so going back to those five state agencies that came underneath his control, those were the five state agencies that that did not have, that were not privatized and outsourced. So Turnpike Authority, DOC, DMH, so Department of Mental Health, Substance Abuse Services, OHCA, and I'm blanking on the other one. But anyways, um, and then we saw Medicaid become managed care in the state of Oklahoma, which is a big one. Um, And so now that's being sold off for parts. Um, Then, uh, so I I appreciate what you just said, Representative Deck, because it is absolutely true that we have seen the privatization of the public sector specifically take, uh, like, uh, like gain energy under Stitt's, under Stitt's leadership. Well, I, I think it's, great. I'm sorry. Go. Yeah. I, I, yes, you're right. And I think it's important for folks at home listening to us talk to understand that they want to fundamentally change the institutions that many of us attended that mm-hmm. they want to complete fundamentally, um, you know, create these ex- recreate these experiences that we all had as students and maybe at one point or maybe, you know, and turn that into a for-profit experience. Mm-hmm. That, that is incredibly dangerous to the fabric of the culture of these universities and their communities. And um, anyway, I'll let Representative Branson. Yeah, Representative Branson, what were you going to say? Well, also um, just the way our higher ed is structured you know, we have the chancellor and we as a legislature can appropriate money to the higher ed, to the board of regents, but we cannot tell them how to spend the money. 
And I think that is a big piece of the issue that our governor has in the mm -hmm. sense that he wants to control the, the agencies. He wants to have control over things. He has no yes. control over yes. the board of regents. Yes. And so and how can he make it yes. that or distasteful for whatever they're spending? How can he turn public opinion against our universities so that that way he can gain more control? You know, that that is a fascinating point because we have seen this time and time again in his dealings with the legislature and his dealings with state agencies, nitpicking budgets that don't need to be nitpicked that are actually like pristine, you know, um, and, but it, as a way to uh, find chinks in the armor. Right. And um, and I, I had a point, too. And now I thought I, I'm just thinking he, I, I feel like they want to like Prager you. Mm. oh gosh yes you know OU and, you know, and OSU. And they want it epic and all yeah. these charter schools that that's what they want to do but chancellor garrett i mean you know she has brought forward the fact that you know uh spending on the um dei policies and programs yep. is less than 0.01 percent yeah. yeah. of the overall budget for higher ed and so you know it's not something that's a huge problem. Um, it is just, it's, but it is an essential piece. Or even, a, it's not even a waste of money. Like it's a rounding well, I mean, error. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. okay. So I, I kind of like take like a, a, go back a little bit because um, I, I feel like you've really hit on something about how he's really itching for more control. Um, and and the thing that's kind of mystifying about this executive order is um, how uh, he's he's asking for the the all agencies, not just higher ed, but all agencies to submit reports about these programs. This is a part of the review. They have to submit it to his office and to, you know, McCall Treat and McCall and Treat um, by the end of May. So after the budgeting is done, right, after signee die, um, and then those who are not in compliance will be put into this little report. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to talk shit, but I'm just like, this is so dumb. And then it's funneled to Ryan Walters, who has zero oversight over anything but the State Department of Education especially not higher education. And, and I'm like, okay, so the timing of this is just, I mean, so September in time for the final push through election day, you know, the general election, the presidential election next year, like, like we don't know how this state's going to vote. I mean, my God, but anyways, um, so it's just like, he's, like trying to tinker around the edges and he's got his little henchman and I can't decide if, if Stitt is the henchman or if it's, if he's the mob boss, you know, like I can't figure it out between him and Walters. Um, but but if just, there was going to be any oversight, it, you know, it shouldn't go to superintendent Ryan. Not Walters. at all. It should it's, go to the secretary Allison of Garrett. education, yes. but we do not have a secretary of education. Because she quit because after like three months. No one seems to want that position. And, I wonder I mean, why. Did that did that secretary of education, which was fabricated when Stitt took office. Um, well, it used to be the superintendent and the secretary of education were both the same person. Uh, Sandy Garrett was both okay. secretary of but education that, and superintendent. 
but that for was some not reason, over higher ed, right? Like that was over right. common education. It was not over right. higher ed. And, and so, then you had the chancellor. Yes. And so, and, and so, but so then I'm thinking, okay, so here's the chancellor of higher education, right? So we have Allison Garrett, who was fantastic in her response this spring when Walters did his little thing. Um, and I'm just thinking of who those regents are. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, you know, we got Mike Turpin, we got Jeff Hickman. I mean, it is a stacked bunch of individuals. Um, and say what you will, because uh, I know the party, you know, the the, the partisan com like composition of that bunch, like they value, they value their 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 universities, right? Like they have pride in their universities. Um and I just think this is a, a, an incredible revelation over how little control he has over this. And this is his move to to gain control over something that he doesn't, that's worth billions and billions of dollars. Kind of like the state Medicaid agency. Yep. You couldn't say it better. It's, it's a move. You have to follow the money. We say it all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Follow the money. Vouchers, follow the money. The you know, tax credit, whatever this thing is, follow the money. So it's what, not a coincidence that he's going after the biggest no. agencies in the state. Well, well, and it helps also happening the helps, ones that he can't control. And it helps multiple things. It satiates the base because you know that, that that's red meat in, in election year. And at the same time, what Representative Ranson brought up, and she would know because she's on those um, I believe she's on the higher education committee. And mm -hmm. so I, I need to sit and pick her brain on all this, too, because I didn't see it that way. This was news to me. I didn't think it was a power grab. But of course, that makes perfect sense, because that's all this dude wants. Talking about Stitt, I don't think that um, that Walters is a mastermind. I think he's a puppet. So I think it really is Daddy Stitt, because, you know, the dude's been doing whatever he wants to do. And, you know, I mean, Stitt, too, Stitt is not a popular. He, he's a puppet of the Inhoff Coburn community up in Tulsa. I mean, that's that's the genesis of them, right? Um, and it's just atrocious. <laughs> um, well, and and he's got a lot of listen. When I go knock doors out here, the first things when I talk to pro business conservatives, they're like, "Why in the world?" Because you work with him. Why in the world is your governor um, uh, fighting with the tribes or saying this about this business or saying this about? even our universities, because anybody here in Norman is going to love OU, even if it's the far right guy who thinks that they're training terrorists or whatever it is that that person may believe, they still like, like the football team or whatever. Right. So it's the perfect, it's actually not a real smart move on Stitt's part, if you ask me, but as part of a bigger piece, like what representative Ranson has pointed out. Yeah. It makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Sure it's almost like, tactics like reconnaissance like how much can i get away with push 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 Just look for weeks away at it at the edge you know it's something yeah. arnold would say is um getting the camel no camel's nose under the tent right like in, he's been successful on this he really he and, and a couple areas one managed care huge coup for the state of oklahoma um uh, uh school vouchers you know i mean he he has yeah. gotten some really damaging things that are part of his platform and under the you know through 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 the deal but um and and you know I, i'll just say here it is important to know that this eo didn't just impact higher ed but like i was saying at the start higher ed is literally where it is an explicit part of who we are and what we do 
to grapple with questions of diversity, equity, and inclusion. It is at the heart of our mission. Um, it's something that I care about deeply, right? Like as that first generation kid who like would not have known a thing, um, I should have come out of Del City High School uh, probably pregnant, but <laughs> right? Like that should have been my trajectory and higher ed and public ed set me straight. Scott Inman says this exact same thing. Like it's because of public ed that we are where we are. Um, and hot damn, it's just like, and our teachers and everything else that we grew up with that guided us. Without my teachers, I'm not. Oh, I'm, heck I'm yeah. Here. Mr. Arell's so, class in eighth grade, where he was like, you guys need to know how to do a research paper. Right. Like you these know? skills. And it was just, it made me want to be a teacher because I was a lifelong learner. So I wanted to help other people grow that mm -hmm. in them. And that's what I wanted to do for my life. I certainly didn't want to have to come out here and fight tooth and nail for uh, like the public schools to exist. Right. Right. I mean, I have to, don't get me wrong. I'm glad I'm on the front lines. So there needs to be pushback, but this is not what I wanted. I, I simply wanted to be a teacher and a dad just go along with my life, you know, and, and now you have these people who honestly, I think are driven by power and money who are using the, the electorate to just get their way. And that's why we have what happens when you have one party rule anything can happen. They can push, they can push, they can see what else they can try to do. How much more money are they going to make off of this? How much more money are they, if Ryan Walters gets to take over Tulsa public schools, right? Isn't, isn't that kind of one of the goals of that stacked school board up there? I mean, listen, there's all different can you angles. Just imagine, can you just imagine if a school teacher from freaking McAllister takes over no. an urban district? That's like, no. I mean, He'll what? partition it out to to third parties, like what you've said. You know what I mean? Um, somebody's going to get rich off well, of somebody. Well, and it's what has district. happened. What is what has happened in school districts around the country? Uh, you know, Naomi Naomi Klein wrote about this in the Shock Doctoring. It is what happens. It gets uh, privatized, right? Uh, yeah. Teach for America. I mean, that's what all of this is, right? Yes. Um, yes. But shit, can you just imagine rural white guy comes strolling into Tulsa like the savior that he thinks he is? And, and and privatizes this with kids of color left i mean it's just it happened in houston it is, but it's what they so, want to do right is that's what they want to do jared mentioned this earlier it is exactly what they want to do and they have compliance from some of our more moderate uh members too who we're trying to empower to be like hey i know that you like your public schools i know that you like your university yeah you need to kind of step up and yeah. unite. It's not a Republican Democrat thing. It's an Oklahoma damn thing. I don't you know disagree what I'm with you. And I, and I think you're right there, but the polls here are the polls. And until the Republicans on the national scene do something about their party getting away from them, mm -hmm. there's always going to be this narrative that if you're against any Republican in Oklahoma, well, you must be a Democrat. There's no other box we can throw you in. Yeah. So you're well, you're, and, and and we do know that they have like literally my these are my words, making it clear none of y'all said this, a basket of deplorables running the state party right now. Right. I <laughs> mean really, about really <laughs> but but I mean, so kind of thinking through like who's in charge, um, you know, we have Greg McCourtney and Ada ECU, right? Yeah. Chickasaw did he Catholic. did he win? Did did he get the? Is he going to be the next pro tem? Do we know? Well, I mean, as floor leader. Oh, 
okay. as floor leader, right? So he can control what bills come to the floor and which don't. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Um, Greg Treat, huge OU person. Um, Charles McCall, I think he's OU. Yeah, uh, yes, hundred percent. Right? Yeah, he's got one of the big plates that we have yeah. from the alumni. Yes, Michael. but his son is attending OSU. <laughs> yes, that's right. fine. So dual dual allegiances, it's just fine, right? That, that, Boomer okay. Trish. That works. Whatever. That works better than right. That works. Better. <laughs> um, John Eccles, big OU guy. Chris Kennedy, yeah. huge OU guy. For and, and still has being student body president on his resume somewhere. I think. Anyways, <laughs> sorry, Chris. I just, I just, I just called you out. And Hilbert's an OSU grad. So uh -huh. and very proud um, of it. A yeah. lot of these guys are. So part of me thinks, well, and 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 Representative Menz is exactly right. It, one of the toughest things to be is a moderate in Oklahoma. What I mean by that is you're getting elected to to represent the people in your district, but then you get up there in these these positions and uh -huh. you're being told what to do, honestly. And if you don't do what you are told what to do you're ostracized kind of le less and than you're primaried and you're threatened or, or, and you're cajoled and mm -hmm. you're exactly. relegated to oblivion, you know, and um, I've seen it happen. Uh, representative, uh, uh, Daryl Fincher, God bless him. We worked well together. Representative, uh, Logan and he Phillips. got beat by a very far right person. Representative Phillips, Roger yep. Ford. He decided to get out because he was just couldn't believe how unbelievably horrible the the right the the gop treated the minority party he couldn't that, believe it that was david perryman too right like the, yeah perryman the, i think the best just, guy in the world and he was like i'm out well and he probably could have won out there but he saw the writing on the wall with mm -hmm. any kind of rural areas but so so you've got all the, these people who i know are proud of their universities so but what what's more important that's the that's the big question isn't it is it power that you want or is it doing the right thing or is it listening and, but, to your constituents or is it getting reelected? You've so, got to make a decision on all these things. I'm a, I'm a big believer in hyper-localizing politics in Oklahoma. Like this, this I've said this openly, like I feel that's the winning ticket, right? So no matter how progressive something is, um, for instance, a sales tax increase in city of Oklahoma City, sure, we'll buy a $1 billion basketball arena that we already have. Um, well, it was not increase, just letting you know. But, say what? Uh, wasn't it? Yeah, I could care less. Right. But my, but my, my point is, is, you know, something very local to people, it really matters. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, oh, it's not a coincidence that Norman is one of the largest communities in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, Lawton is as well. Uh, so we have Cameron down there. You have ECU out there in Ada with the tribes, right? You've got like all these localities. Um, and uh, we just happen to have uh, very well-connected members of the legislature, um, you know, and, and so I feel like the, I am hopeful that that will appeal to them and that these people, yeah. that these legislators can stop some of this from becoming statute. But well, and OU has shown before that if they want to try to stop something, they will. They, they've done things before. They, before 1775, I remember, I don't know if Jared, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't know if Representative Deck and Representative Menz were there yet, but Representative Ranson was. Um, remember, it was Representative Williams' bill that was kind of like 1775 that year that they tried to shut the- Corey Williams in. or- Danny Williams, awful. No, oh, okay. Uh, I was like, what? Uh, okay. Not, Cor not Corey Williams, no. Um, and, and it was kind of a precursor to this. And I remember uh, the lobbyist at the time, uh, John Woods, I believe, I'm not quite sure- um, he was like, 
we're going to come out against this. We cannot let this happen. We'll lose this much money for a ban for, you know, DEI talking about the university itself. Um, Cause grants, you know, there's certain, uh, we're not even talking about that, like grants that you get for these universities, there's requirements for DEI programs. And, and that is spelled out in, and that is spelled yeah. out in the EO, the grants, the federal funding, the compliance measures, the accreditation, all of which is what um, Chancellor he wants to take a look at, right? at her yeah. letter, but he's like, if it's federal and he, he, he implicitly said, if it messes with federal dollars or accreditation, then leave it alone. Um, and this is what Chancellor Garrett spelled out at the beginning of the year when Walters pulled his little thing, which she was like accreditation, you know, th these are the reasons why what you're doing is bad um, and it's going to mess with federal dollars. Um, so they're not going to touch that because while we complain about federal well funds, you have optimism we, uh, that i don't share with you i, I don't because they absolutely I mean, I mean if only 13 percent of ou's funding comes from the state uh a big chunk of that comes from the north dallas that migrates up here for their college education and a lot of all the stuff that they're really proud of all of a sudden comes from federal grants absolutely so they're yep. not going to touch that oh they i hope not, not. I mean, someone may ask them to, I do not see that happening because that is like a death knell. Let's just close Tinker while we're at it. Right. Well, it just goes to show the idiocy of the EO and the idiocy of the whole idea. Let's just close the Medicaid to... agency. I mean, all these things, like it's it's just, it's not going to happen. Um, I think you'll see sense in that. But, but yes, to answer your question though, I think there could <laughs> be opposition. We'll see. We'll see how that would look. Are all the universities going to unite? I don't know. I mean, think about it. They're going to have to decide what to do on this because there are bills that exist. We see Standridge's bills. I, I have the language right here. Uh, I, I would just expect it to be a stealth operation, really. Yeah. Not, oh, like, yeah. You know, they're, they're not going to have like, you know, a rally, people standing, holding signs. I, I see, you know, VP of Government Affairs at OU, Holly Hunt, like doing her thing. Um, you know, working her magic um, yeah. because this this is just terrible. But um, and again, I just want to make sure everyone knows that we know that we've been very focused on higher ed here when this does, in fact, every state agency in Oklahoma. Um, so none of it's good. <laughs> um, but um, so anyways, uh, I don't have anything. With, I usually at this point ask Arnold. Arnold, anything else? <laughs> um, anything else you guys think we should know before we sign off for the night? Because I know it's like one more day of school here in Norman, so some of us got to get kids to bed. I don't know if Stillwater closed up last week, but got one. Not more today. Day. Today was the last day of classes. Oh, we got one more day. Pre-K through 12. Yeah. So literally, what my son said when he came home today, he was like, "I got one more day." <laughs> <laughs> they were smart they gave my kid two more finals too so at least they have something to do because very last day if you don't have something going on it gets yeah, to be it's, chaotic it's all holiday party tomorrow it's like all holiday stuff and it, but yeah my my junior has one final tomorrow yeah <laughs> but it's, it's like oh my god can we just please no alarms Anyways, well, I just want to say thank you for the invitation to come on and discuss this. I think it's an important issue um, in our districts, obviously, mm. um, but also for our state. So thank you. I, I'm so glad you could all be here. It was important that we got 
Stillwater and Norman. As much as I love Norman, I'm <laughs> I won't even look at it. But yeah. <laughs> oh, that big 12 team. And she's we wearing don't even, orange, I... people. She's wearing orange. See, if Arnold was here, he'd it be with you. It was pass interference. I know. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, but I'm so glad you were all here. Thank you so much. It was good to see everybody. Um, I think we'll get this out right at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, so kick off 2024 on a fabulous note. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be my 12th anniversary being back in Oklahoma. So, mm, wow. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, yeah, I probably uh, would get like a cake or something, Marianne. I don't know that I would celebrate this way, but that's <laughs> you. You do you, babe. You do you. <laughs> well, I got, I came back to work for Inman in the legislature. So it's very fitting, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I walked into the, the Capitol on organization day. So I guess it's only been 11 years on 2013. So, yep, that was my first day. So I'm I'm so glad you're here, Representative Branson. Thank you for coming on. It's the first time that we've had you, and I'm so glad you were here. So, um, you guys have a good holiday, have a good you know downtime. I hope, and um, I hope I can talk to all of you again. So thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of ObserverCast. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and share our episodes far and wide on social media. If you're interested in sponsoring ObserverCast, please give Arnold Hamilton a call at 405-478-8700 or drop him an email at ahamilton at okobserver.org. You can also support ObserverCast with a tax-deductible donation to the Oklahoma Observer Democracy Foundation, whose mission is to help create a better, more informed Oklahoma. And to help keep us on the air, visit okobserver.org and click on the Donate button on the upper right side of the homepage. We also urge you to subscribe to the Oklahoma Observer, now in its 55th year of comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. We have a special digital subscription rate for ObserverCast listeners, only $1.99 a month for the first year. That's 50% off the usual rate for monthly digital subscribers. Just use the coupon code ObserverCast when checking out to get the discount rate. And finally, we want to thank Jared Deck for the music you're listening to in the background here. He's not just a resident of Norman anymore. He is now the Oklahoma State Representative for House District 44. Congratulations, Representative Deck. We're so proud of you but you can still download his albums at iTunes and learn more, including dates for any upcoming performances at jareddeckmusic.com.